Chapter Seventeen, Part One of An Antarctic Mystery or the Sphinx of the Icefields. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. An Antarctic Mystery by Jules Verne, Chapter Seventeen, Part One, and Pym. And Pym, poor Pym. I turned round quickly. Hunt had spoken. This strange person was standing motionless at a little distance, gazing fixedly at the horizon. It was so unusual to hear Hunt's voice on board the schooner that the men whom the unaccustomed sound reached drew near, moved by curiosity. Did not this unexpected intervention point to—I had a presentiment that it did—some wonderful revelation? A movement of West's hand sent the men forward, leaving only the mate, the boatswain, Martin Holt, the sailing-master, and Hardy, with the captain and myself, in the vicinity of Hunt. The captain approached and addressed him. "'What did you say?' I said. "'And Pym, poor Pym.' "'Well, then, what do you mean by repeating the name of the man whose pernicious advice led my brother to the island on which the Jane was lost?' The greater part of her crew was massacred, and where we have not found even one left of those who were still here seven months ago. Hunt did not speak. Answer! I say answer! cried the captain. Hunt hesitated, not because he did not know what to say, but from a certain difficulty in expressing his ideas. The latter were quite clear, but his speech was confused. His words were unconnected. He had a certain language of his own, which sometimes was picturesque, and pronunciation was strongly marked by the hoarse accent of the Indians of the far west. "'You see,' he said, "'I do not know how to tell things. My tongue stops. Understand me. I spoke of Pym. Poor Pym, did I not?' "'Yes,' answered West sternly. "'And what have you to say about Arthur Pym?' "'I have to say that he must not be abandoned.' "'Abandoned?' I exclaimed." "'No, never. It would be cruel, too cruel. We must go to seek him.' "'To seek him?' repeated Captain Lenguy. "'Understand me. It is for this that I have embarked on the Halbrane. Yes, to find poor Pym.' "'And where is he?' I asked, if not in a deep grave in the cemetery of his natal city. "'No. He is in a place where he remained, alone, all alone,' continued Hunt, pointing towards the south." and since then the sun has risen on that horizon seven times. It was evident that Hunt intended to designate the Antarctic regions. But what did he mean by this? "'Do you not know that Arthur Pym is dead?' said the captain. "'Dead?' replied Hunt, emphasizing the word with an expressive gesture. "'No. Listen to me. I know things. Understand me. He is not dead.' "'Come now, Hunt,' said I. "'Remember what you do know.' In the last chapter of The Adventures of Arthur Pym, does not Edgar Poe relate his sudden and deplorable end? "'Explain yourself, Hunt,' said the captain, in a tone of command. "'Reflect, take your time, and say plainly whatever you have to say.' And, while Hunt passed his hand over his brow, as though to collect his memory of far-off things, I observed to Captain Langai, "'There is something very singular in the intervention of this man, if indeed—' he be not mad. At my words the boatswain shook his head, for he did not believe Hunt to be in his right mind. 
The latter understood this shake of the boatswain's head, and cried out in a harsh tone, No, not mad. And madmen are respected on the prairies, even if they are not believed. And I, I must be believed. No, 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 Pym is not dead. Edgar Poe asserts that he is, I replied. Yes, I know, Edgar Poe of Baltimore, but he never saw poor Pym, never, never. What? exclaimed Captain Lenguy. The two men were not acquainted? No. And it was not Arthur Pym himself who related his adventures to Poe? No, Captain, no. He below there, at Baltimore, had only the notes written by Pym from the day when he hid himself on board the Grampus, to the very last hour, the last. Understand me, the last. Who, then, brought back the journal? asked Captain Lenguy, as he seized Hunt's hand. It was Pym's companion, he who loved him, his poor Pym, like a son. It was Dirk Peters, the half-breed, who came back alone from there, beyond. The half-breed Dirk Peters? I exclaimed. Yes. Alone? Alone. And Arthur Pym may be. There, answered Hunt, in a loud voice, bending towards the southern line, from which he had not diverted his gaze for a moment. Could such an assertion prevail against the general incredulity? No, assuredly not. Martin Holt nudged Hurligurly with his elbow, and both regarded Hunt with pity, while West observed him without speaking. Captain Len Guy made me a sign, meaning that nothing serious was to be got of this poor fellow, whose mental faculties must have been out of gear for a long time. And nevertheless, when I looked keenly at Hunt, it seemed to me that a sort of radiance of truth shone out of his eyes. Then I set to work to interrogate the man, putting him to precise and pressing questions, which he tried to answer categorically, as we shall see, and not once did he contradict himself. "'Tell me,' I asked, "'did Arthur Pym really come to Salal Island on board the Grampus?' "'Yes.' Did Arthur Pym separate himself with the half-breed and one of the sailors from his companions while Captain William Guy had gone to the village of Clock Clock? Yes, the sailor was one Allen, and he was almost immediately stifled under the stones. Then the two others saw the attack and the destruction of the schooner from the top of the hill? Yes. Then, some time later, the two left the island, after they had got possession of one of the boats which the natives could not take from them? Yes. And after twenty days, having reached the front of the curtain of vapour, they were both carried down into the gulf of the cataract. This time Hunt did not reply in the affirmative. He hesitated. He stammered out some vague words. He seemed to be trying to rekindle the half-extinguished flame of his memory. At length, looking at me and shaking his head, he answered, No, not both. Understand me. Dirk never told me. "'Dirk Peters,' interposed Captain Len Guy quickly. "'You knew Dirk Peters?' "'Yes.' "'Where?' "'At Vandalia, State of Illinois.' "'And it is from him that you have all this information concerning the voyage?' "'From him.' "'And he came back alone, alone from that voyage, having left Arthur Pym?' "'Alone.' "'Speak, man, do speak!' I cried impatiently. Then, in broken but intelligible sentence, Hunt spoke. "'Yes, there—' A curtain of vapour, so the half-breed often said, understand me. The two, Arthur Pym and he, were in Salal boat. Then an enormous block of ice came full upon them. 
and at the shock Dirk Peters was thrown into the sea, but he clung to the ice block, and understand me, he saw the boat drift with the current, far, very far, too far. In vain did Pym try to rejoin his companion, he could not. The boat drifted on and on, and Pym, that poor dear Pym, was carried away. It is he who has never come back, and he is there, still there. If Hunt had been the half-breed in person, he could not have spoken with more heartfelt emotion of poor Pym. It was then, in front of the curtain of vapour, that Arthur Pym and the half-breed had been separated from each other. Dirk Peters had succeeded in returning from the ice-world to America, whither he conveyed the notes that were communicated to Edgar Poe. Hunt was minutely questioned upon all these points, and he replied, conformably, he declared, to what the half-breed had told him many times. According to this statement, Dirk Peters had Arthur Pym's notebook in his pocket at the moment when the ice-block struck them, and thus the journal which the half-breed placed at the disposal of the American romance-writer was saved. "'Understand me,' Hunt repeated, "'for I tell you things, as I have them from Dirk Peters. While the drift was carrying him away, he cried out with all his strength. Pym, poor Pym, had already disappeared in the midst of the vapour. The half-breed, feeding upon raw fish, which he contrived to catch, was carried back by a cross-current to Salil Island, where he landed, half-dead from hunger. "'To Salil Island!' exclaimed Captain Lenguy. "'And how long was it since they had left it?' Three weeks, yes, three weeks at the furthest, so Dirk Peters told me. "'Then he must have found all that remained of the crew of the Jane, my brother William, and those who had survived with him.' "'No,' replied Hunt, and Dirk Peters always believed that they had perished. Yes, to the very last man. There was no one upon the island. No one? Not a living soul. But the population? No one. No one, I tell you. The island was a desert. Yes, a desert. This statement contradicted certain facts of which we were absolutely certain. After all, though, when Dirk Peters returned to Salal Island, the population, seized by who can tell what terror, had already taken refuge upon the southwestern group and that William Guy and his companions were still hidden in the gorges of Klock-Klock. That would explain why Half-Breed had not come across them, and also why survivors of the Jane had nothing to fear during eleven years of their sojourn on the island. On the other hand, since Patterson had left them there seven previously, if we did not find them, that must have been because they had been obliged to leave Salal Island it being rendered uninhabitable by the earthquake. So that, resumed Captain Len Guy, on the return of Dirk Peters, there is no longer an inhabitant on the island? Not one, repeated Hunt, not one. The half-breed did not meet a single native. And what did Dirk Peters do? Understand me, a forsaken boat lay there at the back of the bay, contained some dried meat and several casks of water. The half-breed got into it, and a south wind, yes, south, very strong, the same that had driven the ice-block with the cross-current towards Salil Island, carried him on for weeks and weeks to the ice-barrier, through a passage in it. You may believe me, I'm telling you only what Dirk Peters told me, and he cleared the polar circle. And beyond it, I inquired, Beyond it, he was picked up by an American whaler, the Sandy Hook, and taken back to America. 
Now one thing at all events was clear. Edgar Poe had never known Arthur Pym. This was the reason why, to leave his readers in exciting uncertainty, he had brought Pym to an end, as sudden as it was deplorable, without indicating the manner or the cause of his death. And yet, although Arthur Pym did not return, could it be reasonably admitted that he had survived his companion for any length of time, that he was still living, eleven years having elapsed since his disappearance? Yes, yes, replied Hunt. And this he affirmed with the strong conviction that Dirk Peters had infused into his mind while the two were living together in Vandalia, in Illinois. Now the question arose, was Hunt sane? Was it not he who had stolen into my cabin in a fit of insanity, of this I had no doubt, and murmured in my ear the words, and Pym, poor Pym, Yes, and I had not been dreaming, in short, if all that Hunt had said was true, if he was but the faithful reporter of secrets which had been entrusted to him by Dirk Peters. Ought he to be believed when he repeated in a tone of mingled command and entreaty, Pym is not dead, Pym is there, poor Pym must not be forsaken. When I had made an end of questioning Hunt, Captain Len Guy came out of his meditative mood, profoundly troubled, and gave the word, All hands forward! When the men were assembled around him, he said, Listen to me, Hunt, and seriously consider the gravity of the questions I am about to put to you. Hunt held his head up, and ran his eyes over the crew of the Halbrane. You assert, Hunt, that all you have told us concerning Arthur Pym is true? Yes. You knew Dirk Peters? Yes. You lived some years with him in Illinois? Nine years. And he often related these things to you? Yes. And for your own part you have no doubt that he told you the exact truth? None. Well, then, did it ever occur to him that some of the crew of the Jane might have remained on Salal Island? No. He believed that Captain William Guy and his companions must all have perished in the landslip of the hill of Klock-Klock? Yes and from what he often repeated to me, Pym believed it also. Where did you see Dirk Peters for the last time? At Vandalia. How long ago? Over two years. And which of you two was the first to leave Vandalia? I thought I detected a slight hesitation in Hunt before he answered. We left the place together. You to go to? The Falklands. And he? He? replied Hunt. And then his wandering gaze fixed itself on Martin Holt, our sailing-master, whose life he had saved at the risk of his own during the tempest. "'Well,' resumed the captain, "'do you not understand what I am asking you?' "'Yes.' "'Then answer me. When Dirk Peters left Illinois, did he finally give up America?' "'Yes.' "'To go whither, speak?' "'To the Falklands.' "'And where is he now?' He stands before you. Dirk Peters. Hunt was the half-breed Dirk Peters, the devoted companion of Arthur Pym, he who Captain Guy had so long sought for in the United States, and whose presence was probably to furnish us with a fresh reason for pursuing our daring campaign. I shall not at all be surprised if my readers have already recognized Dirk Peters and Hunt. Indeed, I shall be astonished if they had failed to do so. The extraordinary thing is that Captain Len Guy and myself, who had read Edgar Poe's book over and over again, 
did not see at once, when Hunt came on the ship at the Falklands, that he and the half-breed were identical. I can only admit that we were both blindfolded by some hidden action of fate, just when certain pages of that book ought to have effectually cleared our vision. There was no doubt whatever that Hunt really was Dirk Peters. Although he was eleven years older, he answered in every particular to the description of him given by Arthur Pym, except that he was no longer of fierce aspect. In fact, the half-breed had changed with age and the experience of terrible scenes through which he had passed. Nevertheless, he was still the faithful companion to whom Arthur Pym had often owed his safety. That same Dirk Peters, who loved him as his own son, and who had never, no never, lost the hope of finding him again one day amid the awful Antarctic wastes. Now why had Dirk Peters hidden himself in the Falklands under the name of Hunt? Why, since his embarkation on the Halbrane, had he kept up that incognito? Why had he not told who he was, since he was aware of the intentions of the captain, who was about to make every effort to save his countrymen by following the course of the Jane? Why, no doubt because he feared that his name would inspire horror. Was it not the name of one who had shared in the horrible scenes of the Grampus, who had killed Parker, the sailor who had fed upon the man's flesh, and quenched his thirst in the man's blood? To induce him to reveal his name, he must be assured that the Halbrane would attempt to discover and rescue Arthur Pym. And as to the existence of Arthur Pym, I confess that my reason did not rebel against the admission of it as a possibility. The imploring cry of the half-breed, Pym, poor Pym, he must not be forsaken, troubled me profoundly. Assuredly, since I had resolved to take part in the expedition of the Halbrane, I was no longer the same man. A long silence had followed the astounding declaration of the half-breed. None dreamed of doubting his veracity. He had said, I am Dirk Peters. He was Dirk Peters. End of chapter 17, part 1